Welcome to the Make That Money Honey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Joe, and each week I will be bringing you a combination of interviews and solo episodes with industry leaders in finance, entrepreneurship, and women in business. As a former certified financial planner turned financial coach and entrepreneur, I will be sharing my knowledge on how to have better conversations about money within your marriage, relationships, and family dynamics. I will also be teaching fundamental financial literacy about all of the topics that you wish you learned in school. This podcast will get you to think outside the box, create more abundance in your life, and improve your money mindset. So make sure to follow and tune in weekly, and it would mean the world to me if you shared these episodes with a friend and left me a five-star review. Welcome back for another episode of the Make That Money Honey podcast. I am very, very excited about a special guest that we have today. Shelly is a former HR leader turned career coach, and after spending over a decade in HR at top Fortune 100 companies, she has taken her expertise into her own coaching practice, helping career-driven women create careers that they are passionate about and that support a balanced lifestyle. Shelly believes that every woman can have it all, a meaningful career, progression, and thriving health and relationships, and is dedicated to giving women the tools to create that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shelly. I'm so happy to have you here. Yes, thank you for having me, Sandra. It's so funny. Whenever I get on these podcast interviews, we always end up having like 30 minutes of chit chat before the actual interview. And there's so many golden nuggets. And I cannot wait to dive into a little bit of your history. Because when I was going over your LinkedIn and looking at some of the big companies that you've worked for in HR, it's really impressive to have somebody that has worked for Fortune 100 companies. And for the audience that are listening out there, these are some of the biggest names in retail, in tech, you know, I don't know if you want to share any of those names for the audience to give them some context, but yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about your background of what it was like working for such large organizations. Yes. Yes. It's funny because I actually don't know any different. I don't have anything to compare it to. Um, But I started out of college working for General Electric, which now is not such a big company. Um, you know, it's like split off into a few little companies. But at the time, it was like the place to be. And it was a very traditional old school environment. Um, so it was a bit of a shock to the system, you know, straight from college, definitely intense, definitely focused on the high achieving. And Mm -hmm. I learned so much about learning and development and systems and talent planning and like all of those things. So I am super grateful for that experience. Um, And my nugget from that was I need to work somewhere that's just like a little bit more progressive. That's Mm -hmm. what that's what aligns with me. Um, So then I went to PepsiCo, also in HR very similar structure um and more but more of a consumer product so a little bit closer to the consumer and a huge um part of PepsiCo is actually the people in the manufacturing facilities so oh, you have that kind of down to earth like connected to the making of the products um which is yeah just fascinating from an HR and business perspective and a cultural perspective too 
Um, so amazing experience, like learned a ton. I know more about potatoes and corn than I ever thought I would because PepsiCo <laughs> owns Frito-Lay. <laughs> oh my gosh, um, that's so funny. Yeah. So I actually like the leading research facilities for potatoes are owned by PepsiCo and I was the HR manager for the research facilities. So anyways, learned a ton. So interesting. And um, ultimately was really, I'm like, listen, I love my job. I've learned so much. I have good balance. I have the paycheck and I'm missing the lifestyle. Like I want to be close to the mountain. I love mountains. I love skiing. I love hiking. I know you're, you love the mountains too. Yep. So I'm like, I want to have that lifestyle without having to give up the challenge and the progression and the impact that I feel like I'm having in my career. And um, it's very funny because once I put that out into the world, I got a message on LinkedIn just a few days later saying, hey, we're hiring at Google in HR. Uh, in Seattle, like, are you are you available? And I'm like, yeah, I am available. <laughs> and um, so I interviewed, went through that, and then moved to Seattle to work for Google, which is where I ultimately um, ended my HR career, and then started my own coaching business. But the I loved Google, had an amazing experience there. Um, just seeing how a more progressive company does work a little bit. Obviously, Google's huge, but does still have a flavor of that startup culture, which was interesting. And Google was so supportive of personal development. And I've that, heard that is, yeah, that's like they sponsored a portion of my coach training of large, the majority of it. And wow, like, awesome. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't worked for a company that backed my development and believed that that was a priority. So grateful for every single step along the way. And um, I'm glad that my experience was primarily positive. And I'm so, I feel just so lucky and in my purpose to take what I learned and my unique perspective from the HR background to now help other women who are still in that environment and looking for that connection to a meaning and finding the balance and the lifestyle that they desire. Yes, I love that so much. And I I was looking back at your experience and you were at General Electric, so GE for like a five and a half years, PepsiCo for two and a half years and Google for three, just over three years. So that's you know, almost 10 years of experience or over 10 years of experience in big companies. And so I can imagine what you would have learned from a hierarchy perspective and organizational yes. culture perspective, organizational, what do they call it? Uh, organizational chart, like how everybody oh, yeah. interacts yeah. with each other. You know what I mean? I remember seeing For those sure. in, in university. And then also with your final job um, at Google. I've heard so many wonderful things about Google. A friend of mine actually just got a job with them, but will be working out of Canada remotely. And apparently like they just have such interesting initiatives for their staff to really be progressive. So given that your final experience was with a company as progressive as Google, how did you find that, you know, this, this passion of incorporating the being able to have the lifestyle of going skiing or having your own hobbies outside of work, were they supportive of that? And like, how did they 
how did they manage that from a traditional, you know, if looking back on like the traditional nine to five, how do some of those big companies, now I've been out of corporate for so long now that how did some of these big companies now integrate that work-life balance into their benefits or into their sort of employment uh, structure? Yes. So how it worked for me at Google was like, you need to get your work done and you need to be present for the meetings that are critical for you. Like if you can't attend a meeting or if a meeting doesn't seem like it's in your scope to attending, like there should be a conversation or a note sent about that. But if you've accepted the meeting, you're expected to be there and contribute. Um, And I think that there were just natural ebbs and flows. There were times when it was no problem to leave work at 3.30 and go night skiing or take an hour to walk my dog over lunch on, you know, in the summer, whatever it was, um, like during COVID, take a little nap on your couch or you know, whatever <laughs> it is, like take a little break during the day. Um, there were times yet yeah, when it was, it was felt so easy to fit it all in. And then there were times where the workload didn't necessarily allow for it. And I felt like, oh my gosh, like I barely have time to breathe or brush my teeth or whatever that is. And what that taught me was how workable things really are when you speak up and you use your voice. And I think part of that is I had a manager and I had culture at Google that was very focused on my well-being. And like, we need to get the work done But how can we creatively find a way to get the work done, maybe put certain things on pause because they aren't critical and re-communicate this? So it was something that my manager and I talked about every single week. And I'm like, hey, the past three days have been crazy. This actually isn't sustainable for me. What can we do? And there was always a way. And So I think that was in other situations, either when I was more junior in my career or maybe in a time or culture that didn't talk about that as much, I would have pushed through without saying anything and maybe would have like complained to anyone who would listen after work or, you know, whatever it is, because I thought there was no other choice. Um, But Google, my experience there really proved to me that there are always choices and options and people genuinely want to support you. Um, It's just about how you approach it and keeping that open line of communication. Speaking up about it as well, right? Yeah. Cause ultimately everyone wins when you're transparent and you have what you need. And so that was definitely a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I really like that you touched on that, that you said that this is not sustainable for me. That's a, I really like that messaging, your your language around that, because I have friends and even family members. Uh, I've got one family member who is working for one of the big four banks, and I've got a very close friend, uh, sorry, not one of the big four banks, one of the big four accounting firms, and uh, a close friend that also works for the same firm. And it can be very challenging for them to speak up because there is that ingrained hustle culture of yes. who's going to be the last one in the last one out and the first one in in the morning constantly working on weekends to get projects done and 
it can really lead to burnout very quickly if you're not careful and if you don't speak up. But the problem is, is that because the workload is so intense sometimes, it's almost in competition with your coworkers of who's working the hardest and longest because there's this sort of expectation that if you want the promotion or if you want the career recognition or whatever, that you have to just do that. Like, how do people, how do you, how do you coach people out of that particular thing? Because that is very, very common in these big organizations. Yes. And that is the exact area that I coach on. Um, so <laughs> I love that. <laughs> my, yeah, this is like my, my bread and butter. So what I remind all of my clients in these situations is that like your purpose here, your purpose in your job, your purpose on this planet is not to be a workhorse. You are a unicorn. So like the workhorse is this taskmaster, like trying to do more, trying to get it all done. And then at the end of the day, like you are just exhausted and it's about changing your mindset about what good work looks like, because when we are exhausted and when we are just pushing things out in task mode, we miss out on this whole level of creativity, collaboration, new ideas, you know, like all of these things, um, because we're just in that stress hustle. And so I spend time with every single client focusing on what are your unique strengths? Like, what are you really good at that other people can't do, don't know how to do? And what gives you energy? Because so often in, in a corporate environment, the work just keeps coming and because we can do it and we're good at it and it needs to be done, that's what we end up doing. But that's how you get burnt out. You There needs to be this connection of your like a bigger purpose or impact and what you are uniquely good at and passionate about. And the misconception is that if I say no to the work or if I do it in this different in this different way, I will be held back. I won't get the promotion. I won't get recognized. But the truth is, and I know this from an HR perspective, sitting in, you know, tons and tons of talent reviews, that when you take a step back and you really focus on what you are uniquely good at, what you're passionate about, and you are connected to your work and you do it in a way that goes beyond just the task and like focuses on the ripple effect in the business, it is going to change how people view you. Mm -hmm. And instead of being looked at as like amazing executor, can count on them, super reliable, get stuff done. You know, like I've even myself been called a workhorse in performance reviews. Yeah. And that was considered, and like, those are good. Like, it's great to get work done, but to really like be lit up by your job, you need to change how you approach it. And as a result, it is also going to change how people view you. So it's a it's a difficult transition to make, but I feel it's a necessary one to have that sustainable pace of work in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what yeah, you you really 
it, it really stood out for me there. I was thinking back to when I was in corporate and, and you said something about what gives you energy, things that give you energy and things that you're passionate about. And I remember there was a point where, um, there, I, I was, when I was an associate financial planner, I had to do all these complex financial projections and analysis and research and my natural, whatever you want to call it, human design is more around being client facing interaction with humans, being on phone calls, writing email, replying to emails for clients and things like that. And I remember sitting in these cubicles in a, in a room where I would have to shut the door because I'd have to sit down and concentrate on these projections. And I remember telling myself like, this is part of the process. This is part of the process. I need to understand this until I can get to an advisor, but I did it so like you had to get through the grunt work in certain roles to get the experience to be able to do other roles better, but you don't necessarily need to stay there. And I think what a lot of people get stuck on is one thing that I was very clear on with my manager was like, I am doing this and I'm going to give it a hundred percent so that I can learn as fast as possible. But ultimately this is not what I want to do long-term. It is draining my energy. It costs me. Like I was exhausted by the end of the day. I had nothing left after sitting and doing these projections. But then as soon as I was client facing and was doing three or four meetings a day, I was energized, happy, like lit up. And it was exactly that. One of, I remember one of the performance reviews was like, what brings you energy in your current role and what drains your energy and it was from an external HR consultant that came into our business to do like a revamp of our roles. And it was shortly after that, that they put me client facing because they realized that my skills were, even though I could do certain things, like, for example, if other people are working in, you know, a big, a big firm and they're doing PowerPoint, they're creating PowerPoint presentations and they're making fancy contracts and blah, 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 but they're more of an extroverted personality then they're not going to be thriving in their job. They might tick boxes, but that's not what lights them up. Yes. Right? Yes. So how do you coach people on having that discussion with their superiors? Because it can be a very scary thing for people to, I know for myself personally, it was very scary to be like, I don't like doing this. I don't enjoy doing this. You can be seen as lazy a complainer, uh, you know, well, tough luck. That's part of the job. You know what I mean? Like, so how do you get from that point where you're like, I can do this and I can do it really well, but I don't enjoy it. How do I get in front of doing X, Y, Z of something that I really enjoy in a healthy conversation type of way? Yes. The first thing is to anchor into the benefit that is going to bring the people you're chatting with, the benefit that it's going to bring the company. So you're, you're a perfect example. You were doing this quote unquote grunt work to get the experience, but you were clear that it wasn't your be all end all and you were transparent that it drained your energy. So they put you into an external facing role that maximized your energy and your natural skill set, and I mean, knowing you for just a brief amount of time, I'm pretty confident that you did great things for the company. Yeah, when you I were excelled maxi- at it. <laughs> yes. I, I did. I loved it. I loved it. Yes. So 
it's like, first we have to step back from just this initial conversation. How am I going to be perceived to actually, it's a benefit to everyone that I am transparent because like you have a ton to give and the company is missing out. The world is missing out that your team members are missing out when you don't have the opportunity to maximize on your unique genius. Mm. And so instead of complaining, it's just sharing, like sharing an opportunity and, um, focusing on the impact that that will create is key to like get in your headspace to build up the courage to have the conversation. But I also recommend that being a key point of the conversation of the impact that you see coming out of being able to do more aligned work. And yes, and that can be like the impact for the bottom line for the company or the sales, whatever it is. And then I also guarantee that in you stepping into work that's more aligned, it creates opportunities for other people to step into, you know, someone needs the development opportunity that you currently have. Right. Um, and so there is a way for everyone to win. And um, I recommend leading with that impact and having a plan having clarity. So instead of just saying like, Hey, this really isn't working for me saying, I see this opportunity. Here's the impact that is also a potential out of this. And this is my strategy to get us there. I love your collaboration and support. And it's a whole different conversation because then you're viewed as, Ooh, she has ideas. She is a leader. She is innovative. We want to support that. That is the type of person we want leading the way. And um, that this is yeah, that's the, my favorite being, thing to do. Yeah, being proactive, ambitious. And yes. I love what you said there about framing about it, like what's in it for them. So, same thing goes with sales, right? It's like, what's in it for them? Why is your manager going to want to promote you or put you on a fast track? Maybe, maybe it's that you come up with a time frame for how much longer you're going to be in your existing role. So it's more of like a transition plan into the next role so that you know exactly what steps you need to take in order to get that promotion or to switch roles. And yeah, I love, I love how you framed it like that, where it's like, okay, this is why I think I should be in this role. This is what, this is the opportunity that I think I should bring. And you touched on another point, which I really liked as well, where you said, what's the, what's the impact on the bottom line for the company? Because ultimately, and, and you can see this happening a lot right now, if employees are burnt out, you know, burning the candle at both ends, not having that work-life balance, they're a flight risk right? And if they are not getting what they want, if they're not working in a job that is fulfilling to them, they're going to be looking elsewhere for other opportunities. And that is a huge expense to a business. If they have a, if they have a quality employee who's trained, who knows their systems, who has relationships with customers and, and all of that, and then they leave to a competitor, now all of a sudden that's a big impact to that business. A lot of downtime in replacing them, recruiter fees and the whole the whole situation, right? Exactly. So it is totally worth it for for these people to be asking for, you know, a role change or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like you might even say it's essential, right? Yeah. Like 
there's there's so much talk about the evolution of corporate culture and things that need to change. And I feel that's really important and I'm so on board with that. And then I also see a huge opportunity for women in the corporate space to also be feeling empowered to make some of these changes themselves um, and modeling it for other women who are working for them or who are observing them for their daughter, you know, whatever it is, but just showing like, hey, I stand for being really lit up by my career. I'm empowered to advocate for it and make it happen. And I want other women to see that this is possible for them too. Oh, I love that so much. I love that so much because it is, it is a really scary thing. You know, women are definitely have a larger presence in the workforce now, and especially in more of these senior roles, but there still is. And, and I see this with a lot of the people that I work with because I have in my coaching business, I've got a combination of um, salaried employees or corporate employees and business owners. And one of the biggest differences that I see between the their male counterparts or their partners is that the women really lack the confidence to speak up, whether it's in their business or in their career. They won't ask for the salary negotiation. They'll just take what they're given. They won't increase their prices because they don't believe they're worth more or that somebody's going to pay it. And this is a, an educational opportunity for people like you and I to say, hey, if you actually do go for it, you'd be surprised at what this outcome is that you can get out of it. But there's just that lack of confidence that it's almost our generation that's really the first one that's getting all these big opportunities. And so we didn't have our mothers or our grandmothers educating us on how to have these conversations. So when when you work with women, particularly, so I guess because we're on the corporate side, when you work with women that are in corporate that are struggling with these types of things that we're working with, what are some of the things that you teach them in order to handle their situation and create more, have more ownership over their life, really? A big one is just the process of coming back to you and who you are. Because I like I don't know about you Sandra, but in my 12 years of corporate, I changed drastically about of what oh, I want, sure. Right? Like <laughs> yeah. I talked about like I changed companies, but also like my goals changed and totally. what I liked to do changed and I think it's so easy when you are working really hard, nose to the grindstone, you know, just trying to be a good employee, other people can start making career choices for you. And that's when I see like clients coming to me say like, I'm burnt out and I don't even know what I want to do. It's because like they, the last time they really had that reflective conversation was a decade ago. And there's like, you know, chats with your manager, but it's all around the job that you're in right now as the reference point. And so we go through a journey of just coming back to what is really important to you? Like, what are your values? If you could have a day of doing whatever you wanted, how would you spend your time? And just things that we don't have time to reflect on 
but are so important for consciously choosing your next steps. And the reason that I bring this up in terms of being able to advocate for yourself and have those conversations is because there's a certain level of confidence that comes with clarity about who you are. If you know, if you're just like, I'm frustrated, I'm working so hard and I don't know what to like, that feels confusing and overwhelming. And then once you're able to actually do the deeper reflection work, you can say, Hey, I really value authenticity or I really value transparency and this isn't sitting right with me, right? Like you have a new frame of reference of what is working for you and what is not. And that provides a certain level of confidence in having those conversations. So that's one piece of it. And then another piece is I get my clients really freaking comfortable with celebrating their wins and talking about what they are doing right. Because yep, love I that. have yet, <laughs> I, yeah, I have yet to meet a woman who's like, I am my own biggest champion. I celebrate all my wins. Totally. It's like, we knock ourselves down and beat ourselves up and pick apart everything that we've done before we have the opportunity to celebrate anything that we've done right. And that feeds into this whole mentality of like, I shouldn't ask for it. I shouldn't speak up. Like, this is good enough. I should stay in this situation because we're just like, oh, like I did all this wrong. So I don't even deserve that, you know, but actually you are freaking badass and you're doing so many things right. And we need to start owning that. And the more that you own it and celebrate yourself, the more that confidence builds to stand up for what you really want. Um, go after that next thing that might feel a little outside of your comfort zone. You're like, I don't know if I'm qualified, but then you're like, yes, I'm qualified. I did yes. XYZ <laughs> and I crushed it. And, and so I think like those are just two top things that come to my mind and really have an instant effect. Like just every week when I meet with my clients, getting them in the habit of celebrating what they did the week before, like I can see it visibly, like how their posture and their face changes just talking about it. Yeah. I love that so much. I've given actually one of my, um, one of my corporate clients that same, that same activity before she went into her performance review, because she was like, I don't know if I should be asking for this. I don't think I have enough experience. I don't, I d didn't finish that course that I was supposed to do. And I was like, girl, you have 13 years experience in technology. You have all the education you need. You have all the training you need. You were employee of the month, like three times last year. Like you have what it takes to get this performance, to get the salary that you want, the negotiation that you want. And so many people sell themselves short. And particularly, I see this with women as well, where they think they always need more of something to be to be qualified for something. They need more education. They need more experience. They need more training. They need more recognition before they feel that they will be enough for yes. the next job, for the promotion, for applying for something that they might not be, you know, it might say five years experience and they might have four. So then they won't even apply. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And we always sell ourselves short, but it's like, I love what you said about celebrating our successes not just on a week by week basis, but like looking back and being like, wow, I do have 10 years experience in 
Fortune 100 companies, or I do have seven years experience working internationally or whatever it is, right? Or I speak another language or whatever. And 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 embracing your inner unicorn. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that. So let's talk about your transition to entrepreneurship. And we were having a bit of a chat about this before, about how humbling the experience is. What made you switch from working in Fortune 100 companies to starting your own business, coaching women? And how has that process been so far for you? Yes. So it's interesting. I, I in my life, just will get random moments of clarity. And when I was 22, I had a moment, maybe I was 24, between 22 and 24, I had a moment of clarity. I'm going to be a life coach and I'm going to be an inspirational speaker. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's the goal, but had no idea how to get there. Did not have any funding for any type of training or anything. And frankly, at that age, I don't think I had much to speak or coach about. (laughs) I was very, I was still figuring out my own life and I always will be. Um, But I just, that was just a direction that I knew I wanted to go in and throughout, but I loved HR. I loved the work that I was doing. And I got, I felt like a ton of value and fulfillment from my career too. So it didn't feel urgent. Like I got to get out of this bad situation. It was just like, Hey, I feel like I have this bigger purpose. One day I'm going to pursue it. And so I kind of thought, Oh, maybe when I have kids, I'll pursue it. Maybe when I retire, maybe I'll retire early and then I'll pursue it at that point. And, um, in the meantime, I just continued to make choices that allowed me to feel more and more fulfill, fulfilled and aligned in my own career. Um, and so I started my coaching training and it just started to feel urgent. Like I was like, I think now is the time. I, I'm as happy as I could ever be in a corporate environment. I love my team. I love the culture. I love my job. Like this is as good as it's like, I feel really happy. And this is, this is like as good as it's going to get. What could make me feel even happier is stepping into this next level of purpose of coaching. And I knew that the woman I wanted to help was the overworked, unfulfilled corporate woman because I saw that person every day mm-hmm. and in my HR capacity, I, I was limited in how I could support them, right? Like I can, I can share suggestions about like your specific work situation, but I can't like mindset coach you on, you know what I mean? Like there's totally. a boundary there. Yeah. And so I just saw these women who I knew had this unicorn side to them, had these tremendous strengths that were being underutilized and weren't feeling the confidence to speak up for themselves and go after what they want. And I just saw the huge missed opportunity, like not only for them, but for the business. And I'm like, this is it. This is where I'm needed. And, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. Like, why not now? What is stopping me? And so I just decided I didn't want to constantly be wondering what if, and I was going to take the leap. And it was shocking for me. Never thought when we started the year 2021 that that would be the year I left corporate. Never would have thought. Um, 
but it happened and I'm super like I'm super super happy with with that direction that it's taken me both in the fulfillment that I get in working with my clients and as you and I chatted about <laughs> the personal growth journey that no one tells you about, which is oh, entrepreneurship. My <laughs> gosh. Yeah. I, it was so funny. I was talking to actually my mom and my brother about this the other day because my sister-in-law just finished her MBA. And, uh, and I said, I was like, I feel like I've been in an entrepreneurship MBA for the last two years because there is no number of professors or, or university training that could have prepared me for the reality of entrepreneurship, the roller coaster of ups and downs, the, you know, uh, there's one sentence that I continue to tell myself over and over and over again. And, and it's, this is all part of the journey <laughs> is it yes. because sometimes I'm just like, Oh my God, I want to throw my laptop off my balcony. I want to slam my head against the wall. I'm like, why am I even doing this? It would be so nice to have that six figure paycheck again. But then the thought of, well, what about all of the clients that I have worked with who have had amazing breakthroughs and had no one else in their corner to be able to teach them because they never had that family, you know, generational education that I did when it comes to finance, or they never had those figures that were a mentor for them in business or career or whatever. And you go, okay, there's one part of it that's like, I have this burning desire to help my clients. But another part of it is my lifestyle now is so important to me that I, the flexibility of being able to choose what you do with your time far outweighs the the thought of going back to the corporate world and getting that six-figure salary and being like, I have to be on all these stupid meetings that I don't want to be on every week. That could have been an email, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or sit in your yes. desk to physically be there, even though you need to go to a dentist appointment that is fairly urgent and, you know, something like that. Like, it's just not how some people want to live their lives. It works for some people. Don't get me wrong. It very much works for some people, but it is a very humbling experience. It is. And the most humbling part of, I mean, I, I can't even say the most humbling. One of the very humbling parts is that I almost had to relearn the exact things that I teach my clients mm, because yes. I had mastered like this advocating for myself, this like maximizing on my unique strengths, all of, all of that, which I felt had that down in corporate, the work-life balance, the boundaries. And then I got to entrepreneurship and it was challenging for me not to work 24-7. It was challenging for me at the beginning to ask for what I felt my services were worth. It was challenging to just so many things, like to not feel, to like hire a VA, for yes, example. That was one of the biggest like, learnings for me is hiring somebody. Yes. Like I'm not, I'm not an HR background. So when I, I went through uh, several assistants where I was like, oh, these are not holding up. Yes. Yes. And it's like, I, I just, every time I had to remind myself, like, no, I believe you are thriving when you are maximizing on your unique genius. Like I believe that when you advocate for what you need, the right opportunity will fall into place. And it's like, I had to remind myself of all of these things that I teach my clients daily, but I was in a new environment. And 
And so it's like you think you've you think you've mastered something and then you start doing it in entrepreneurship and you feel like you're in your training wheels again. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more and I think as you said it's it's almost like people start to go into entrepreneurship or to be a business owner and leave their corporate career mostly because of a painful situation that they decided that they never wanted to go back, whatever that is, whether they were workaholics, whether they didn't get along with their boss, you know, whatever the reason. And then they come into entrepreneurship thinking that it's going to be within 12 months, you're just going to replace your income. You'll go with the flow. You'll get clients here and there. And then all of a sudden, everything will just magically work. And that's one of the misconceptions that I think a lot of people struggle with is when you get to about the 18 month, 24 month mark, you've had some success in your business, but not quite enough to be fully sustainable yet. And there's a tipping point. And actually one of my very first interviews on my podcast with a guy that I actually went to elementary school with named Michael Downey. He is a YouTuber, very successful YouTuber. And he talks about his journey into becoming a YouTuber. And he's now in his, I guess it would be fifth year now, because when I interviewed him a year ago, it was his fourth year. And he talks about, I think it's like one of like the first three episodes in my podcast, if anyone wants to go back and listen, but he talks about the journey. And he said, in my first year, I was working a job at like a scrap metal yard just to pay the bills. And he specifically worked a job that he hated so that it would force him to do better in his business and so that he could quit faster. He, it was, it was like, he didn't want to work a job that was like a crutch that he, that he was comfortable in. It was like, he wanted to do something that he hated. Then in the second year, he started getting paid for some of his work. Then in the third year was when he really started to like break even and then start to profit a little bit. And it wasn't until the fourth year that he really started making good money and could choose which projects he started working on. And he's a travel YouTuber. And it was so interesting because every single entrepreneur that I have interviewed or have spoken with in real life that has been successful said the first two years you want to, you wake up and you want to quit every single day. Then there's a tipping point and they call it the hockey stick effect. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard that term before, where you're basically, and and for our listeners, you can't see my hand, but you're basically going in a horizontal movement for the first two years. Like you're just going sideways. You're not going up. And then all of a sudden, there seems to be like all of this work that you're doing and all of the connections, the networking, the building your credibility, it all starts to click at a point. And then you have what's called the hockey stick effect, where it just starts to increase rapidly and it starts to go straight up like in like a graph mode. Right. And every time I fall back into this self-critical trap, I remember this hockey stick analogy and I'm like, okay, I'm right at that corner, right before it tips where all of these things that don't make sense or that frustrate the crap out of me or that aren't bringing in money. All of a sudden there's a point where if you just don't quit, it will eventually make sense for you and then your business will change. And so many people get stuck and quit right before that tipping point because that's where the biggest breakthroughs happen and that's where the biggest moments of resilience and tenacity will test you. Yes, I deeply relate to that metaphor and I 
I'm ready for my hockey stick moment. Mm. I, Sandra, I will call you when it happens. We can yes, celebrate. Yes, I feel like we're going to be friends in real life and we're going to celebrate with a ski with a ski trip to some mountain yes. that we've never been to before because, yeah, it's it's an interesting journey. And like what I love about what you talk about is really coaching these women who are high-achieving women break through this internal self-talk, right? Yes. Because that's really what is holding them back. It's not their career. It's not their boss. It's not their lack of experience or lack of X, Y, Z. It's their internal self-talk. Yes. Yes. And that's when I left. I thought what was remaining for me in that space holding me back was due to still being in corporate and that environment. And I can't you know, fully live my purpose. I can't fully help people the way that I want to. But once I eliminated those elements, I came face to face with the fact that I was still holding myself back and in little ways that I didn't even realize. And, and that just reaffirmed for me how important it is to do this work with women in these environments because even me who thought I had mastered it still had little pieces where I was saying, oh, but this is because of X, Y, Z outside of me. But those are all examples of areas where I had power to influence and change the situation and do things differently. And so I think that is exactly what we can't underestimate is the potential available to us when we change that, when we change how we speak to ourselves, how we relate to ourselves and what we determine is possible for us. Yeah, totally. When it comes to speaking up and really stepping outside that comfort zone and what, like what, what you were saying about, you know, you had been a master of it in your career, but then when it came to yourself, it was the, I was so funny. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Literally I got off a client session and I was like, wow, that was really good advice. I should follow my own advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was like, imagine if I did the same thing as what I just told my clients on and they, they had this breakthrough and I saw them have this aha moment. And, and I was like, wow, it would be so smart of me if I actually followed my own advice sometimes, because it makes total sense. We know what to do. And for the people out there listening, the women out there listening, they're like, oh, I totally know what to do. I just need to sit down and have a conversation with my boss or with this client that's draining my life or with somebody who is overstepping some boundary with me. Yet we don't do it. And we, and we consistently say, I'll just do it. Oh, I'm, the, today's the day. Today's the day I'm going to speak up. Today's the day I'm going to raise my prices. Today's the day I'm going to fire a client because they treat me with disrespect. And one of the things that I love about your business is these are women that you're working with that are ready to put all of their excuses aside and say, okay, today's the day. Enough's enough. I'm responsible for my own future. If I need to, if I want to change my future for real, I'm not going to rely on the corporate coach that is given to me by my boss. It's like, how do I go outside of myself, outside of my employer and hire somebody as a third party unbiased opinion to get me on the right track and to get me out of my funk or overwhelm or burnout? Yes. 
and create the habits and skills, tools, relationship with yourself so that you don't find yourself in that position again. So could you take us down a, like a bit of a path of when somebody comes to you and starts working with you, what does that coaching look like and how do you sort of um, take them through this journey? Yes. Great question. So like I mentioned at the beginning, we really start with grounding in who you are. Like what is important to you? What is your special sauce? Like what are your unique strengths, your unicorn qualities and getting really clear about your energy? Like what gives you energy? And from there, creating a vision. I find that the vision piece is so important and we need to do some of this other work first because otherwise we limit ourselves on what's possible for us. We're like, oh yeah, that would be cool, but like, let me dim it down a little bit. Yeah. So le- being anchored in all that and then creating a vision that really excites you and that really fuels like your mind, body, soul, bank account, the whole thing. And then from there taking a deeper look at what is the mindset that I need to have in order to bring that vision to life. Whether it's, you know, like I am, everyone around me benefits when I speak up for myself or I can make money doing work that I love. Or like when I leave at 4.30 PM, great things happen in my, in the business, (laughs) whatever it is, like Really committing to that mindset work and putting that into practice because it is a practice. We can't just like write it in our journal once and be like, yay, I believe I'm great or whatever. <laughs> like really totally like, have to embody it. Yes. Yes. And that is the final phase. Like with the mindset work, we determine what needs to be left behind. Like what thoughts and beliefs are we saying goodbye to? What are we taking forward with us? And then the last piece that brings it all home is the embodiment, becoming Mm. the woman in your vision, becoming the woman who believes all of these things. And that can look a variety of ways. It can be the woman who shows up for herself and goes to the gym every morning. It can be the woman who wears an outfit she's excited about and curls her hair because she feels unstoppable when she does that, you know, but like looking at those things of how do you actually embody it? And paying attention to how you feel in your body, because that is another key piece of how we get down this rabbit hole of the corporate position that isn't fulfilling us is because we ignore the signs along the way. And so rebuilding this relationship with yourself is also about listening. Like once we you know, work on the mindset and we're anchored in who we are, listening to what comes up and practicing honoring that. Um, And then from there, just tweaking the strategy as you go, um, because, you know, it is a little bit of an experiment too. Totally, totally. And I love that you talk about vision. That's one of the things that I do with my clients as well, because it's like, uh, I heard this analogy a little, little while ago that it's that it says, uh, if you don't know where you're going, how are you ever going to get there? Yes. It's like it's like a two. It's like taking a roadmap to an unknown destination, right? Yes. And and a lot of people have no idea what they want to do with their life, and they think that their time on Earth is infinite as opposed to finite. And 
They're just going with the motions, never living their dreams, never living their passions because they think that their time is just endless. As opposed to being like, wait a minute, if a doctor told you you had five years to live, how would you change your life now to maximize that time? Great. So why are you waiting for that notice? Because your time is limited. You just don't know when it's going to end, right? So why yes. are you waiting for one day, someday, all this stuff before you start taking action? Like I, like you said with you, there was just this aha moment when you left corporate where it was like, no, like now's the time. Now's the time. So if this has been so good, I feel like we could talk for hours and I feel like we're going to become friends in real life and go skiing and on adventures with each other. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Um, so how can people, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they are interested and they're like, Oh, this is exactly what I need. This is what I needed to hear today. How do they find you? And what are some of the ways that they can work with you? Yes. Best way to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. Um, I'm Shelly with an E Y K K A Y on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, connect with me. I love making connections on there. And the best ways to work with me right now is my one-on-one 12 week coaching package, uh, which I have a few spots left for uh, before the end of the year. And then um, I also am launching a group program in mid-January, all focused on this career empowerment piece. So I haven't shared anything about that yet, Um, but you can DM me and I will be happy to get you on the list to learn more when the time comes. Amazing. And we will link your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can just go straight, straight to you. Um, but yeah, this is amazing. I love your LinkedIn page. It's so polished. I was like, I, like I said, when I was reading it before our, our, um, our interview today, I was like, I'm so excited about this. You've got such a wealth of knowledge and it's been absolutely a pleasure having you on the show today. I love your energy. I love what you are doing and that you followed your dreams and your passions into making this all possible. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yes. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for listening. And if you love this episode, please share it to your Instagram story and tag me at sandra.m.joe. I would be forever grateful if you left me a five-star review and sent it to a friend so that I can reach as many people as possible. For more information on my financial coaching and how we can work together, check out my website at sandrajoe.com. And until next time, have a great day and go make that money, honey. 